Colossians chapter 1, I'm chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read these 11 verses and you uh, read along with me. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for the good news given to us in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would today, by your Holy Spirit dwelling in your people, dwelling in our hearts, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Lord, illuminate this word to us, that it would renew our minds and transform us and conform us to the very image of the Son of glory. Father, we ask this, that your name would be glorified, that we, your people, would be witnesses to you in this earth. Lord, in this community where you have called us to be your body, to be your witnesses, Lord, shine through us brightly that men would see Christ, that men would hear and know the gospel and so be saved from their sin and from their destruction. Father, we ask this, that your name would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here in these verses, um, Paul is writing this letter to this little church, remember in this seemingly insignificant small city, but there's nothing insignificant. I, I love the fact that that city was called insignificant in its day compared to the other cities And here we are in what people have traditionally called an insignificant little city. And we might think we're an insignificant little church. But God says he takes the foolish things to confound the wise. He takes the weak things to bring to nothing those things that are mighty. And I want you to know that you are never to view yourself as insignificant or minor or powerless Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And Paul promises in his letter to the Romans that that Spirit dwelling in you will strengthen even your mortal body. And God can work through you just as easily as He can work through anyone in any place at any time. And Paul begins this, and he says, If we have been raised with Christ, thus having died to the spiritual elements of this world, we are to seek, we are to set our heart on those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. That's where we're to seek, to set our sights there. I'm going to go through these verses fairly quick here as we um, look at each of these verses. In verse 2, in seeking those things which are above where Christ is, we must 
be setting our mind. So in verse 2, he says to set your mind on those things above. We're to seek those things above. We're to, verse 2, set our mind on those things above. So wherever we set our mind or our affections, that's what we're going to seek after. We're to seek and to set our heart on those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We're to set our mind on those things above. And in order to see the things on earth transformed here, we need to seek those things above and we need to set our mind on those things above. Not on the things on the earth, Paul writes. This refers us back to chapter 2 and verse 20 when he talks about the rudiments or the spiritual elements that we have died to. Those elements of this world that we died to in Christ. Those are not the things we're to be setting our mind on. Those are not the things we're to be seeking. We're to be seeking after Christ and setting our mind on those things which are above in order to see the things on earth transformed by the power of God. Verse 3, Paul reminds the believers that they've died with Christ, and having died with Him, our life is now safely hidden with Christ in God. Who we are and what we shall one day be is securely hidden with Christ. And in verse 4, Christ who is our life, when He appears, our life that is hidden with Christ in God will be revealed, Paul writes. At His appearing, we also will appear with Him in glory. And what we shall be, then will be clearly seen. In verse 5, because of the life we now have in Christ, because that life is hidden with God in Christ, and its full glory shall one day be revealed, because of that we are to continually be putting to death our earthly members and the idolatrous works of the flesh we are tempted to engage in. Because we are in communion with Christ by the Spirit, having died with Christ, and we are to no longer walk according to those spiritual elements or spiritual principles of the world. But we put to death those things that are contrary to Christ. This is what Paul meant when he says, I die daily. This is what Jesus meant when he says, if you desire to be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. We put to death those things of the flesh every day. In Colossians 3.6, Paul warns that the wrathful judgment of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, either in this life or in a future judgment. I think he is likely referring to both here. It is the sons of God that hold the key. The, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, but it is the sons of God that hold the key to God's mercy in the midst of His wrath. As His people called by His name, we are called to humble ourselves and to pray and to seek His face. And in doing so, God promises that He will hear from heaven and heal our land. And we understand that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, but it's not the sons of disobedience that are going to repent and turn to the Lord. It's the sons of God, it's the people called by His name who are called to humble themselves and pray so that God would bring healing to our land. You do realize when we pray for rain, it rains on the just and the unjust. It doesn't just rain on the homes and the gardens of believers and leaves all of the unbelievers still in drought and dryness. So the blessing of God's mercy will come upon our land. The healing of God will come up upon our land and it will benefit the heathen. But it is the children of God who must cry out to the Lord because of the sin, the unrepentant sin we see in the lives and the hearts of the sons of disobedience. And when the church becomes apathetic and indifferent to that sin, then we are inviting God's judgment 
upon us, and I believe we are exactly in that place today in America. In verse 7, Paul reminds us that we ourselves once walked in disobedience. We once were subject to the wrath of God when we lived in and according to the earthly members, subject to the spiritual elements of this world. We are to remain humble, therefore, before the Lord, knowing from what we have been delivered by His grace. But by His grace, so would we be just as those sons of disobedience, and we all wore at one time. Verse 8, but now since we are in Christ and dead to those earthly spiritual elements, you are to put off all the things consistent with that old man, such as anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. Verse 9, since you have put off the old man, do not lie to one another. I think it's interesting that Paul makes this very clear statement here. Do not lie to one another. Why is that? Because Jesus is the truth. Because God's word is truth. Because as children of God, we have the spirit of truth dwelling in us. Therefore, do not lie to one another. That is a sin we commit against one another when we lie to one another. And Jesus, who is the truth, His Word, His Spirit dwelling in us as new creation. So as His children, we are to walk in the truth. Therefore, do not lie to one another. Verse 10, in putting off the old man and his deeds, we have put on the new man. And it literally is just like me taking off this jacket and putting on a new one. That's, that's the word picture Paul presents here in the Greek. This is the language. I've taken off the old man, and now I've put on the new with his deeds. I've put off the old man with his deeds, and I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, that is Christ. Colossians 3.11, in this new man, in this new creation, Created and renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ, there is only now one identity by which we are known, and that identity is Christ. Paul writes this here in Colossians. He writes it in his other epistle as well. And he says, there is now neither Greek nor Jew. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer a, a Jew or Gentile division from the Father's point of view. There's no longer a circumcised or an uncircumcised division from the Father's view. There is no longer barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and all. Christ is all and in all. So our identity now is in Christ. Doesn't matter what nation of origin, doesn't matter what our ethnicity, it doesn't matter our skin color, it doesn't matter our social status. If you are in Christ, then Christ is all and in all. So Colossians 3.1, you were raised with Christ, so seek the things above where Christ is. This is what Paul is encouraging us, commanding us to do, in fact. In this verse, Paul is referencing the reality presented earlier in Colossians 2.20 where he reminds the believers that they had died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Your King James says the rudiments. It means the spiritual elements of the world. Therefore, because we have died to those things, we are not subject and we're not to subject ourselves to earthly regulations or to those spiritual elements of the world below. Those earthly regulations described this way in Paul's letter, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, all of those things concern the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They are not spiritual, but they are fleshly and powerless. So your abstaining from certain things might be a good idea for your health. It's not that we can't fast and, and 
pray and, and neglect our body for spiritual reasons. I'm not saying that's not a good thing if the Lord leads you in that way. But God's not going to love you anymore because you do. You're not going to gain a spiritual advantage over someone else because you do, because God looks at you and says, oh, I think I like him or her because they're much more spiritually disciplined than this other person. That's not how it works. That's not grace. That's work. If that's how we gain favor from God, then we're working for his favor. And remember what we said last week, your salvation is not a reward. It's a gift. Salvation is by grace alone. It's God's gift. There are rewards. We talked about them here in this letter. There are rewards that we're commanded to know of and to not allow false teachers to come and rob us of. But that is far different than your salvation. God doesn't love you because you earned his love. He loves you in spite of yourself. He loves you because of his grace. And he has given to you, this is what grace is. Grace is is God giving to you what you do not deserve. Mercy is God not giving to you what you do deserve. That's why the, the prophet says, Oh God, remember, in your wrath, remember mercy. We deserve your wrath, God, but remember and have mercy on us. We deserve your judgment, but don't give us what we deserve. Have mercy on us. Instead of submitting to the regulations of men puffed up in their flesh... Having been raised with Christ, you are to seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Or we could say it like this, we are to be living with an upward view. As Christians, we should be the most optimistic people on earth. That doesn't mean we, we couldn't lose our lives. Katana told me last night there were 1.5 million people killed for their faith last year. Say, well, gosh, that doesn't seem very optimistic. I promise you. They gave up their lives. They gave up their lives for faith in Christ, and they haven't lost anything they've gained. And they are realizing and experiencing and living that gain right now, having given up their lives for faith in Christ. Here in America, we have become idolatrous worshipers of the American dream, which means, you know, we want everything materially and physically to to get better and better and better. And I'm not saying I don't want that either. And that has been the case for many decades in our nation. But we are now beginning to see the foundation of those things crumble because we have rejected God. We have rejected His gospel. We have rejected Christ And we have a church in America that is afraid to speak up and to stand up and tell the truth. And she thinks she's going to get more from her government or more from the the people of this world than she could possibly get from God. And we will learn a very hard lesson if we don't repent of that sin. And so instead of submitting to to men puffed up in their flesh, we need to submit to God. We need to look to Christ. We need to be living with an upward view. Verse 2, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above. So seek those things above where Christ is sitting, but also set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. What your mind is set on is what you will seek. You do realize that, right? What your mind is set on, what your heart is is bent toward is what you're going to seek. In order to walk and live with an upward view, you must live with your mind set on things above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. This is not, I want you to hear me here, church, this is not walking around with your heads in the clouds. This is living with your feet firmly planted in the rock. Christ Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of God. 
This is setting your mind on the king and his kingdom that we are to be praying and working to see come on earth as it is in heaven. And as you live firmly planted in Christ, you are who is above the things of this earth. You are to have your mind set in the same place above where Christ is. Not on things on the earth that are subject to the same spiritual elements that you died to when you were crucified with Christ. Again, this is not living with your head in the clouds, being so heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. You've heard that statement before, right? On the contrary, to seek those things where Christ is seated is to set your mind on things above, and this is how you will see God's kingdom come. This is how the things of this earth will be transformed. This is how you will see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how you will see it made manifest in your life and in your realm of responsibility and influence. And we all have a realm of responsibility and influence. And fathers, your primary realm of responsibility and influence is your family. It begins right there. In your heart, in your family, and it moves out from there. And that's true for all of us. It is the manner of living that makes manifest his kingdom. His kingdom from above here on earth. It is living, looking upward with our eyes and our hearts and our minds directed toward Christ. That's how we see the things on this earth transformed for His glory. You died and your life is hidden with Christ, Paul writes. Verse 3, Colossians 3.3, 3, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This seems a contradiction in terms. You died and your life is hidden. This does not make sense to those in the world. If you've ever talked to someone who is in darkness, who does not know Christ, when you talk about things like this, it it, it makes no sense to them. It's why in the religions of the world, many of them, most of them, the the idea that, that God would put on human flesh and submit Himself to be tortured by men, and die on a cross makes no sense. It makes no sense to Muslims. Why they can't accept Jesus as he is presented in the scripture. It doesn't make sense to most people in the world. It sounds like a contradiction. You died, but you have a life hidden. For the child of God, this is foundational. This is a foundational truth of the gospel of Christ. Christ came to die and to live again so that we too could die with Him and live again in Him, in His life. We think that Jesus just came so that we could live, but in reality, Jesus came and died and lives again so that we too could die and live again. We all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all want the blessings of God, but we don't want to experience the crucifixion of the cross. We don't want the death of our flesh. We want it all. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. And it just doesn't work that way. That's the way the world thinks it works. But it doesn't work that way. By His grace, Christ is now your life through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been crucified with Christ, then it's no longer you who live, it's Christ who lives in you. Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. That's the whole subject of our Bible study on Sunday mornings during Sunday school. Christ is now your life through faith in Jesus Christ. Now... In Christ, you are to live according to His life that's given to you as a gift of the Father's grace. Only through death, when we are crucified with Christ, will we experience the resurrection life of Christ. There is no resurrection apart from death. To know that we have died with Christ is to know that we have been raised in the newness of His life. 
Now, having died, our life is hidden with Christ in God. That is truly good news for us now, for us in the future, and for us for all eternity. Your life hidden with Christ in God shall one day be revealed. Paul says it's hidden right now. But one day it's going to be revealed. Colossians 3, 4. When, when, when will it be revealed? Well, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Paul writes about our life hidden with Christ in God, he's alluding to a sort of mystery that is safely held in God. I say a mystery because it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. That mystery of what we shall be will be made visibly known one day when Christ himself appears. And we appear with him in glory. John, in his first letter, writes of this mystery not yet revealed. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The aspect of our life being hidden with Christ in God provides comfort, but it also provides motivation for us. Comfort knowing that God has safely reserved our life with Christ. Motivation, knowing that just as He is pure, we are to pure, purify ourselves in His holiness. Now, you don't make yourself holy. You're counted holy. But because He has counted us holy, because He has made us alive in Christ, and Christ is holy, and God is holy, how are we to live our life? We are to live holy lives. Whatever we shall be, we know that God safely holds our life with Christ. Notice that Paul clearly conveys that it is Christ who is our life. When Christ appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then with him in glory, what we shall be will be fully revealed. There's no other aspect of the appearing of Christ. There is another aspect of the appearing of Christ that I want you to consider. So Paul is saying one day when Christ appears, and I do believe that in that day when Christ sets his feet on this earth and Christ comes again to rule and to reign physically in person on this earth that he created, I believe in that day when death is no more, and, and all of sin and all of death has been put away, and there is no more curse, then we will be seen and we will be known even as we are known by Him. This is what Paul writes in Romans 8 when he talks about the creation groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, because even the creation knows that there's coming a day when death and the curse will be no more, and in that day, then we shall be known, we shall be seen, it shall be revealed what we shall be. But there's another aspect of the appearing of Christ I would like for us to consider. There is certainly that aspect I just alluded to of his physical appearing, his final coming to the earth in which mortality will put on immortality, corruption will put on incorruption, and we shall all be change and transform in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. That is a future event, a future reality yet to come. But there is another reality that we live in right now. The word appear in Colossians 3, 4 is the Greek word phanaru. And it means to reveal, to make clear or visible, or to make manifest. This is the same word translated revealed in 1 John 3, 2. I read 1 John 3, 2, and 3. And when John talks about Christ being revealed and, and us being revealed, it's the same word here. It's used in reference to the believer and in reference to Christ in 1 John 3, 2. 
And for context, that verse, again, it reads, it has not yet been revealed, made manifest, made clear what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, made clear, made visible, made manifest, we shall be like him. There is a sense when that will happen one day when Jesus physically returns. But I think the Bible also conveys there is a sense in which that is happening right now in our lives. There's another appearing or revealing of the Lord I want us to consider. One that is ongoing, an ongoing process of seeing the revealed Christ by faith and being transformed into the same image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is what Paul is referencing here. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord... Now, he just got through talking about when Moses was up on the mountain with God and he, he appeared before the Lord and his face shone with the glory of God and he had to put a veil over his face because the people, children of Israel couldn't stand to look into his face because of the glory of God that was there. Well, that was a, a glory that faded. And, and Paul is, is writing here in his letter to the Corinthians about that glory, but there's another glory, an enduring glory that now is made manifest to God's children, and that glory is in Christ. It is Christ. Nevertheless, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding, listen church, as in a mirror, when you look in a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. As beholding, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Our being, we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of of the Lord. There was a glory of the old, there is now a glory of the new. God's children are being transformed from glory to glory. There is another glory now that we have come into in Christ. It's not the old glory. There was a glory of the old, but this is a different glory. This is a glory that does not fade. This is a glory that as we look, as we behold, the image of Christ, as we behold as in a mirror, we are being transformed into that very same image. Now, this is important for us to, to grasp and to understand here. Because what this is saying is that as we gaze into the image of Christ, as we look into Christ, as Christ is revealed to us, as he is made manifest to us, more clearly we are being transformed into that same image. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So now in Christ the veil is taken away and we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory that Paul wrote about in this letter in Colossians 1.26. This was the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, it's not I, but Christ. So when we look in the mirror now, the glory we're seeing is not our glory. It is the glory of Christ in us, who is our hope of glory. Now, as we fix our gaze on Christ, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Not by might, not by power, not by our work and our striving, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And this is how we are being transformed. Again, Paul speaks of this revealing of Christ in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Paul writes, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now this word translated reveal here is the Greek word Apocalypto, it's where we get the title for the book of Revelation. The Revelation, or if you've got an old King James Bible, it says the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And today, because we've bought into Hollywood and we're so 
uh, conditioned by Hollywood movies like Mad Max and Apocalypse Now and all of these apocalyptic movies, we think the word apocalypse means the, the end of the world. And the word apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. The word apocalypse means revealing. So what's the title of the book of Revelation? It's not a book about the end of the world. It's about the revealing of Jesus Christ. And Paul says here in his letter to the Galatians, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to apocalypto, his son to me, or to reveal his son to me. Why? That I might preach him among the Gentiles. So this word to reveal is an uncovering. It's a, it's a pulling back. So picture something that's been covered up and you pull the sheet away and voila, there it is. That's what this word means. It's an uncovering, a revealing, an unveiling. It's not just making something clear or manifest like the fog slowly burning away. This is a revealing. It is uncovering, revealing what was hidden, what was covered. And when it pleased God, he revealed, he uncovered his son to the Apostle Paul. And he did the same to us when he opened our blind eyes and enabled us to see Jesus. The uncovering of the Lord brought about a continuous revelation or revealing in Paul's life. So it didn't stop with just a uncovering and there's Christ. That uncovering, that revelation that God brought to Paul set in motion a continuous revealing. Fanaru, that Christ became more clear and more visible and more manifest and more known to Paul as Paul grew in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is how we are to grow in Christ. That is how Christ is to be revealed. That's how he appears to us. So the uncovering of the Lord brought about a continuous revelation. It brings about in our life this continuous revelation. There is a point when Christ is revealed to us, and that revealing, that uncovering produces the ongoing revelation, the ongoing appearing that works in us a transformation into the very same image. It's not a one-time event that we try to remember, but an ongoing revelation born out of the communion we now have in Christ by the Spirit. By grace, through faith, we are joined to Christ in union by the Spirit. <clears throat> Our revelation of Christ, His appearing to us, is an ongoing reality born out of the relationship we now have in Him by the Spirit. And your life that is hidden with Christ in God, shall one day be revealed at this appearing for what it is in Him. In other words, what we are in Him will one day be revealed, but as we are growing up into Christ in all things, there should be a sense of that maturing that's taking place. Just like a child that grows up. A, a child doesn't just one day at whatever age say, whoa, wow, I just realized I'm an adult, I'm mature. No. There is a process that we grow up and we are maturing all along. We're growing up into a mature man or a mature woman. And yes, one day, and we, especially as parents and grandparents, see this. We look at our children and our grandchildren and we say, wow, they're grown. They're mature. I remember when they were just little bitty things crawling around. But, but look at them now. We can have that revelation, but you understand the process of growing and maturing is a process that happens every moment of every day that we are growing up. This is how we grow and mature spiritually. This is also what it means to have a revelation of God, a manifestation of Christ that is changing and transforming us. And the more clearly 
we can see what we're being transformed into, the more clearly we grow and we mature to that fullness. So it's a future reality that we anticipate. We anticipate that promised appearing of the Lord in His return one day. But until then, we can be assured that as we behold Him as in a mirror, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, growing up into Him in all things, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then Paul says, put to death your members on the earth. So Paul has reminded us twice in this letter that we died with Christ. Once in Colossians 2.20 and now once in, in, in Colossians 3.3. Now in Colossians 3.5, he concludes that we are to put to death our members which are on the earth. And these members he lists as fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he likens our earthly members, and, and yes, think your members, your hands and feet, your arms and legs, your mouth, your ears, your eyes. Think those things, but he's liking those things to sin we commit in this body made of the earth. Remember, this is an earthly member. God formed us from the the dust of the earth. And Paul is reminding us where we have come from and what we have died to. We've died to that spiritual, those spiritual elements of this earth, of this world. And we're to put to death those things. Because we have died with Christ, because we are crucified with Him, we are to crucify the flesh, putting to death our members which are on the earth. We're to no longer allow sin to reign in our bodies that have died to it. Romans 6.1 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verses 2 and 3, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that in as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? That's what your baptism represents. It represents a death. And out of that death, there is a resurrection. So we die to this world, but we live to Christ. Romans 6.11 Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are to continuously reckon ourselves dead to sin. The temptation to sin will never cease as long as we live in these flesh and blood bodies subject to the curse. These bodies that are still corrupted by sin and death. That does not mean that our resistance to sin and to temptation will not increase. So our ability to, to resist sin... Our ability to resist temptation should increase as we grow up in Christ. But it's never, I don't believe, going to go away. It will always be present. Temptation will always be present with us. But we don't have to give ourselves to that. And that's Paul's point in Romans, and it's his point here in Colossians. So as we're built up in him in all things... Coming to the fullness of the stature of Christ, we grow in our resistance to sin sinful temptations. We can take heart in that, but we have to remember it's a process of maturity that we're undergoing. So we can't become haughty or arrogant or presumptuous. We need to stay humble and realize that our willful obedience, just as our willful disobedience, has much to do with the progress we make in the process of our sanctification by the Spirit. It is by grace, but we are called to obey, and we are, we are charged to do that obediently. Obey Him. The wrath of God, Paul writes, is coming. So stay humble. That's something no one likes to talk about. We don't like to talk about judgment. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. But the Bible talks about it, so we must too. Right here in the New Testament, with Jesus having come and lived and died and ascended to glory, Paul warns of the wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience. 
Next Saturday, there will be at least two churches out there telling the homosexual community that the wrath of God is nothing you should fear, that you can live your life and love who you want to live and live any way you want to as long as you have love in your heart. And there is no such thing as a God of wrath. There is no such thing as a hell. There is no such thing as a judgment. And if there were, you certainly are not going to go there. Those people over there who claim to be Christians, who hate you, they're the ones that are going to go there. That's literally what those people were told last year. Paul warns of the wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience. In Colossians 3.6, he writes these words, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Why is wrath, why is the wrath of God coming? And who is it coming upon? Well, it's coming because of fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's coming because of the works of the flesh. It's coming because of unrepentant sin. Yes, in the sons of disobedience, but that does not exclude the children of God and the church of the Lord Jesus. When is this wrath coming? Well, certainly it may have come upon those sons of disobedience in Paul's day and time. We know it came in 70 AD upon Jerusalem and upon the, the Jewish nation. It may come at the end of the age and the great judgment that will take place. It certainly will come then. It it may come upon us today. It may be upon us right now. I would say that it is. I would say that much of the death, the destruction, and disruption we're seeing today in our nation is God's judgment upon sin. And I personally believe that it can only get worse. It can also get better. But whether it gets worse or whether it gets better, whether it becomes heavier or whether God's hand is, is removed and mercy is made manifest is going to depend exclusively on what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ does. It's not going to depend on what the homosexuals do next Saturday. It's not going to depend on what the world who is in darkness, who doesn't even acknowledge God, it's not going to depend on what they do. It's going to depend on what the church does. And as the church, as Christians, you need to understand that and encourage your fellow believers to stand up and to be courageous and to stop being quiet and to stop being cowards. Speak the truth in love. Don't be hateful. Be loving, but be truthful. When is the wrath coming? God knows. It could certainly come in our day. I believe it is here now. It will certainly come at the end of the age to deal with the sin of those who reject Christ to, the, to those who love sin more than they love God. My friend Gatana, who came and surprised me last night at my house, he said this as we're talking about these things, and he just came out and said it. He said, the problem is the people in those churches think they're Christians and they're not. He said, I'm not afraid to say it. He said, that's just the truth. He said, why is the church remaining silent? Why is the church not standing up? Why is the church not out evangelizing? Why is the church not doing the things her Lord has commanded her to do? And he said, I've come to the conclusion that many of those who call themselves Christians, even in the large church he attends in his town here in America, he said, many of those people are not Christians. Though they were raised in the church, though they've been there for years and decades and generations, they're not living like Christians. If our hearts have been changed, if God has changed us, transformed us, our life will manifest that. This is the point of Paul's. This is the point of this letter we're working through right here in Colossians. Verse 7, Colossians 3, 7. He reminds the believers in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You too were sons of disobedience. You too walked 
in those earthly members and participated in and committed those very same sins the sons of disobedience are committing right now. You yourselves once walked in the very same way when you lived in them. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. The wrath of God is coming. Therefore, stay humble, knowing that's where you were saved from. But for the grace of God, you and I would still be walking and living in our members which are on the earth, apart from His grace. We would still be walking as though we were still sons of disobedience instead of living as sons of God. And Paul is writing and he's saying, if you have died with Christ, then walk as though you are alive in Christ. And that is the charge for us today. Now in Christ... Put off the old man and put on the new man. Verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, But now you yourselves are to put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Verse 9, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. These are the deeds of the old man. And we could list many more. He says, If you have put off the old man, then put the new man on. All of these are consistent with the old man when we were sons of disobedience. But now in Christ, we are to put off that old man and his deeds and put on the new man. Having died to the spiritual elements of the world, crucified with Christ, now we put on that new man, verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Listen, you still have the memory of the old man. Just because you've put off the old man doesn't mean you don't have the memory of the old man. Doesn't mean you're tempted, you're, you're no longer tempted to react the way the old man reacted. And this is why in verse 10, he says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. My chiropractor says i got to keep doing my exercises because my muscles have lived contorted for so long, just an adjustment doesn't change it. i got to retrain my muscles to be proper. You know, if I think just one adjustment is going to make my muscles just act right, he says, no. You've lived like that for years. Now you've got to retrain your muscles to be right. That's the way it is with our minds. Many of us have lived in the world according to the old man for years, and we've got the memory, the mind of the old man. And Paul says, put on the new man, now renew yourself in knowledge and be transformed. And this is what we do. We're renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. So like a garment, we put off the old and we put on the new. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to be renewed in our mind, and out of that renewal comes transformation. The renewal and knowledge brings about the renewing of our mind and thus the transformation so that our lives manifest the truth that's in us. Our renewal is consistent with our putting off the old and putting on the new. The new man is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, and we are to be conformed to that image, that is the image of Christ. This is our destiny. Paul writes in Romans 8, 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. Ephesians 2, 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not to just know them. We're to walk in them. It's not just the truth that's in us. It's the truth that must be known through us. 
as it is made manifest in our life like fruit hanging off a tree. That's why we have fruit trees, so that we can pick the fruit and eat the fruit. Well, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is to be in your life. It's to be present so that the people in the world who live in darkness have an opportunity to see and to know and experience the fruit of God's Spirit through your life. For all who are in Christ, Christ is all and in all. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is now our identity. When you call yourself a Christian, you are identifying with Christ. And Paul's point in this letter, in everything we've studied up to this point, is when you call yourself a Christian, when you say you've died with Christ, then your life has got to manifest that life that you now have come into through death and resurrection. If you died with him, then you've been raised with him. If you were buried with him, you are now walking in the newness of his life. And your life and my life is to make known, to make manifest the reality of his newness, of his resurrection life and power. And we're now known as Christians what the word means. We're identified with Christ. It's hard for us to imagine how controversial this was in Paul's day when he says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither uncircumcised or circumcised. This is why they wanted to kill Paul. This is why they sought to kill Paul. And ultimately, Paul was arrested and he did die at the hands of the Romans. But long before Nero killed Paul, the Jews were trying to murder him because of this very truth right here that he preached. In Christ, now there is no longer Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised. That's not just an ancient truth, that's a present truth. And we need to live and make known that truth. We need to live consistent with that truth. That's why social justice is just a lie. Because the gospel is the only true social justice there is. The gospel is the remedy for every injustice. Socially and in every other way. So if you are in Christ, Christ is now your identity, so represent him well. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord. The very table that God prepares for us each week and invites us to each week to proclaim the body and the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in proclaiming His body and in proclaiming His blood, we proclaim the very things that have saved us and made us new and given to us all that makes the message good news. If you count yourself in Christ, if you trust Christ, if you count yourself a member of this covenant community, young and old, as covenant members in the body of Christ, welcome to the table of the Lord. We'll all take the elements together and be served together, or eat and drink together. Come and welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. As we've gone through this, these verses in Colossians 3, we see that Paul is promoting a lifestyle consistent with what is true concerning our union with Christ. We are in union, communion with Christ. We are to live consistent with who we are in Christ.
who we now are and who we shall be revealed one day at His appearing. When we are fully conformed and glorified in Christ. And this charge to live in holiness is not some new legalism. It's not legalism at all. It's not self-striving or works of the flesh. Because all that Paul is encouraging us to do and to be in how we live our life is grounded in that communion with Christ by the Spirit. Fathers, this is what God has called you to do. Christian, this is what God has called us to do. As children of God, born again from above, by grace through faith, we are to walk as He walks. We are to walk in the light as He is in the light. We are to be holy as He is holy, and we are to be courageous just as Jesus was and is courageous. I pray you will be. If there ever was a day when we need faithful men, faithful men and women, it is today. Specifically, you fathers, I pray that you will walk faithfully, courageously, and consistently in Christ for your families and for his kingdom. And I pray that we will all do that to his glory. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you.